This evening, I would encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. The second half of this chapter will be our focus, uh, verses 10 through 18. Joshua, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest. And is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession... And enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God will be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Thus far the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we come to you tonight, and we would ask that my words would not only be according to Scripture, but would be used by you mightily to bring about salvation in the hearts of of those who sit here tonight, that he would even go forth in power to the very ends of the earth for the salvation of the nations. Those who sit here tonight might listen even as they have never listened before because you are the one who speaks and you have for us glorious things in store even from your word. And so we ask, O Lord, work powerfully among your people. We ask then in your name. Amen. There are many mysterious things in our lives. I have one child in particular who will send me texts throughout the day asking me difficult questions about how to apply the truth of God's word to all manner of things. Stumpers, you might say. Some of those questions I can easily answer. Some of them require more thought. Some of them can be rightly and easily lifted from certain passages of Scripture, chapter and verse. Some of them are more deep and broad theological topics that require a bit of a survey from the Scriptures. But one thing is for certain, that that which is pertaining to life and godliness is clearly revealed in God's word. In particular, the gospel, the name of our Redeemer, the work that he accomplished on our behalf, all that is necessary 
to be saved, even the simple-minded can understand. God is eager to make himself known. And though there may be theological teachers, maybe you have teachers in your school that enjoy being cryptic or can't help being cryptic. Maybe they want to hold over you some kind of knowledge so that they might impress you with their wisdom. Or perhaps they have a lot of wisdom and they simply have trouble conveying it in a way that you understand. God longs to make himself known. Now the way in which God clearly reveals himself in scripture is through repetition. And there are certain biblical theological themes that we find open to us in the scriptures that are unavoidable. And one of those themes that arose from the first five books of the Bible is the necessity of the Passover. The necessity that we, through Christ, are delivered out of the land of sin and death, judgment being poured out upon the lost, yet salvation to those whom God has chosen. And the destruction of one people and the salvation of another comes through a same act, a similar act, a corresponding act like that of the Red Sea. I've spoken of this a lot lately because that theme of judgment through water and salvation for some, deliverance unto the mountain of God for worship, is woven throughout even the very opening verses of our Bible. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. And it is out of that place of divine presence, God made all things. In the same way, God, in his presence, delivers his people out of water. Think Noah, think Israel, and the Red Sea. This is our story as the family of God. This was the story of the second generation of Israel. And the question for those who look at the stories of old ask these questions, I think, instinctually. Does God still do great things among his people? This is the question that is at the very front of the minds of children when they ask, does God still perform miracles and mighty deeds? Sometimes those questions are hard to answer. Sometimes they require some nuancing, but those answers are very clearly revealed in the scriptures. Now, as Joshua takes the helm given to him by God to lead the nation into the land of promise, the question for the people is what? Will God continue to do as he has promised? Will we still get the glories and the blessings, and the visions, and all that we saw while Moses led us? Or is God done? Have those things ceased? In the opening chapter of Joshua, what we see is that no, those things have not ceased. That God will, through Joshua, lead Israel just as he did with Moses. And the confirmation of that is the continuation of the theme of Passover. The passing over of Israel through the Jordan into the land of promise 
in a same miraculous fashion that the first generation experienced when they went through the Red Sea. And so God is confirming in the hearts and minds of the Israelites as this book opens and the story of Joshua's leadership and ruling of the nation, it opens in such a fashion that even we as readers may say, surely God is with Israel. Three points that I want to make tonight. The first, Joshua takes command. The second, a campaign for the whole nation. And then thirdly, obedience or death. Joshua takes command, a campaign for the whole nation, and then lastly, obedience or death. Let's look at the first point. Joshua takes command. Now, it may seem strange to you when you look at Joshua chapter 1 and Joshua chapter 2 as to their order. I would contend this, that Joshua 2 takes place between the first and second part of Joshua chapter 1. There is a kind of chronological refrain that in the same way that Moses sent spies into the land of promise prior to their going over and their decision to go into the land, Joshua sent spies. Now, we will get to the second chapter next week and the story of Rahab and that all-encompassing, fascinating question Is there a time in the life of a Christian when they can not tell the truth? And I will answer that question. And I'm not lying. (laughs) I will answer that question. But I do want to read the last verse of chapter 2 so that we can see it as a kind of prelude to verses 10 through 18. And they said to Joshua, the spies, having returned, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. There's the report. It sounds a little different, doesn't it? Than the first report of the other spies. They were faint-hearted. But why were these citizens of Jericho, these pagans in the land, though they dwelt in a mighty city, why were they faint-hearted? Because God by his spirit, had worked in them fear. God would go before Israel. God had gone before Israel. God goes before us. In fact, maybe that should be the first lecture in any apologetics class. You're not the first one to deal with the hearts of those to whom you go. God is there. And God opens and God closes. God brings courage. God brings fear. God is Lord of everyone. There are none who are outside of the sovereign influence of Almighty God. And so, having heard this report, Joshua, verse 10, commands the officers of the people, and he says, I want you to pass through, pass over, cross over. In fact, this phrase, pass over, or cross over, is used 35 times in the opening chapters of the book of Joshua. It is a theme. It is a prevalent theme. Our crossing over is the work of God's deliverance into a land. Their crossing over is the work of God's mighty deliverance into that land. And so Joshua commands that the leaders of each tribe pass through their people and give them the command to go. 
Joshua commands the leaders of the tribes, and the leaders of the tribes command their people. This was to muster the troops. This was to muster the people. But not all the people. You may or may not remember earlier in Moses' writings, there were tribes that would remain in what is called the Transjordan area. They would not go into the land of promise. In fact, their inheritance laid outside of or beyond the boundaries of the Jordan where Israel had already gone. This was not because of disobedience. In fact, God allowed it. And God would bless them. If anything, this is a picture of the extent to which the grounds of Israel and their influence in the world was to reach. Israel was not to be a nation cloistered behind the Jordan. They were to go there, and as Adam was to tend the garden and go out of the garden to take dominion of the wild lands, Israel was to one day go beyond the borders of the nation of Israel in order to tame, to gain for God's glory all nations. It's a picture of what would come. But though it was not necessary for these men to go over, because these tribes that would wait for them or those lands across the Jordan would not be theirs, they would still go. More on that in a moment. The whole company was to go. This is a new passing over for a new generation. And every generation has such a leader. And every generation of saints has such a charge. Ours is, of course, Christ Jesus himself. He is the one who has gone over and has secured our place on the other side. He is the one who bore the wrath of God, was raised, and so we can go with him. And though we die to sins, we are raised with him. We are baptized into the one name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This passing over is something that every generation of the visible church experiences. And Joshua here is commanded by God and therefore on behalf of God does the commanding to bring about the purposes of God to deliver the land into the hands of the people. Let's go to the second point, a campaign for the whole nation. I said just a moment ago that we have these tribes here, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Those two and a half tribes, in essence, would remain or they would inherit lands across the Jordan. But despite their inheritance that lay on the other side of the Jordan, in previous sections of Scripture, Moses, on behalf of God, calls them to aid their brethren in the securing of the land across the Jordan. In Numbers chapter 32, beginning in verse 6, we read, But Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given you? Numbers 32, Then they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock. And cities for our little ones. But we will take up arms, ready to go before the people of Israel, until we have brought them to their place. 
And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. And there are other texts that describe the same things. Now, it was not the entirety of these tribes, but whom? The men of valor. War belongs to the men. And not only men, but courageous men. It belongs to those who made a vow, this second generation, and those who belonged to it, who would go over and assist the other tribes in the securing through battle. What do we learn? That the conquest of the nations is a whole nation affair. There are no churches, there are no tribes, there are no saints who are excluded from the combat, the conflict, the waging of war for the hearts and minds and souls of men and women and children. The battle does not belong merely to one or several tribes, but the whole people of God. What does this say of our church today? That the battle belongs to us. And that even for those who may not be in the midst of great conflict, we still assist those who are. Think about home and foreign missions. Think about those nations in which much has been done in terms of conquest and the spread of the gospel. In fact, it is those nations oftentimes where the gospel has reaped its greatest reward that we find them sending many missionaries to other hostile mission fields. I remember my own time in southwest China. It wasn't just people from the west who went to those places where the gospel and many people were unreached. But while we were there, there were many South Koreans many from the Philippines, and other nations that were one with the gospel much later than Europe and the West. And even as they were one, they sent. Why? Because the conquest of the world is a whole church endeavor. The battle does not belong simply to one or many. It belongs to all of us. And that battle we will see in the book of Joshua is won by trumpet and it is won by sword. It is won by the worship of the saints and the wielding in the Old Testament of swords and in the New Testament, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the prayers of the saints. It is won by the Spirit at work in our midst to bring about the gospel and its right effect. So we must be committed to God's promises. And not just one or many, but all. So when you join a church, be prepared. <laughs> well, you've joined this church. Be prepared. And already you have fought. You've labored. And labors are not merely the ministry of word for those who are office bearers and holders. But it is also being salt and light. It's signing up for cleanup duty. Right? As they say, Everyone wants to go to war, but no one wants to do the dishes. <laughs> there are simple, menial, repetitive tasks 
that are still part of kingdom conquest. And it is not for the many or for the few or for the one. It is for all of us. We must be committed to God's promises. And not only God's promises, but our own. For as soon as God commands Joshua and the leaders of the tribes of Israel to go forward and say, let's get ready. We will return to this land that God promised to Abraham and to his offspring, you guys. But in response to these commands, we find in verses 16 through 18 a covenant renewal expression. In fact, verses 10 through 18 are really kind of a covenant renewal episode. God commands them, and they respond. They respond with a statement of commitment, a commitment to Joshua, to their leaders, which are commitments to the Lord. In fact, maybe remember when we had men ordained for office most recently, I say recently because it happened, and maybe you remember because it was most recent, that the elders and deacons made vows to you and you made vows to them. And in fact, whenever you join a church, the fifth and final vow is that you heed the wisdom and discipline of those whom God has put over you. This may seem strange to you. This is certainly strange to the world. I don't remember making that vow. Well, you did, even if you don't remember it. But those vows that we give to those who are in authority are vows to Christ and his ministers. We make those vows to them on behalf of Christ. Christ is the one ruling us through under shepherds. And so these vows are made again because God has clearly established that he is leading them through Joshua. And what they are saying in verse 16, so they answered Joshua, All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Is this the cult of personality? No. This is Israel saying, what? We will follow you. Because there is a very clear condition placed upon that promise. It's at the end of verse 17. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. What does that mean? To the degree that Joshua was speaking on behalf of God, they would obey. Now, what proves true of Israel? What proves true often of us? Even as we make vows, perhaps to our spouses, to those who are in authority, every covenant, every vow we make, we eventually break in some fashion. We are unfaithful, we are untrue, we disobey. We scorn, we complain, we grumble. All of these things, and yet here we find Israel making a vow because they understood the terms of the covenant. Not only did they see what had happened before, but they understood that if they did not heed Joshua's commands, that there was a serious consequence. In order to inherit the land, they had to run out the giants. This was not the end of the story. In many ways, it was merely the middle or the beginning. 
Israel was called to go into the land and fight, to be strong and of good courage, even as Joshua commanded them in the beginning of chapter 1, three times only be strong and of good courage. And here at the end of chapter 1, they say, we will be strong and of good courage. And they knew what would happen if they did not. And that leads me to my final point. Even as they were committed to the rest of what was to come, the reason they were committed is because they understood what would happen if they were not. And this theme is what the writer of Hebrews picks up. The first generation failed to enter into the rest of God. Now, you and I in Christ Jesus, even as the church militant, are at rest. How are we at rest? In our striving. In our striving for righteousness, and even in some fashion in our striving against Satan. We do not have to do it alone. Remember Christ says, take my yoke upon you. It is easy, it is light. Now we go, I don't know about that, but in comparison to what? If God were not on our side, Luther writes, our striving would be what? If not the right man, it would be losing. And there are many among whom we are surrounded, and their striving is losing. It is the striving of idolatry digging cisterns that cannot hold water. We are surrounded by losers because they do not have the right man on their side. They do not follow Joshua. They do not follow Jesus. They are not committed to his plans. As hard as they may be, as often as they may fail, they are not committed to the rest that is to come. In this, we must be careful in our presentation of the gospel. It is not a bait and switch. The life of a saint is not an easy one. Remember what Christ says, if any man would come after me, he must do what? He must deny himself, he must take up his cross, and he must follow me. And you go, oof. I don't know about that. And it's interesting, even in the pursuit of growing the church and things like membership classes, sometimes I wonder if we all not say, are you sure? Are you sure about this? We really want you to join. But do you know that Christ calls you to give up your life? Now this makes sense when you present to the one whom you are calling to give up their life, the kind of life they find in Christ. But much of that which is good, which we find, is in the life that is to come. Especially when the war is hot and there is much suffering and persecution. And so every Lord's Day, the God, the God, God gives us opportunity to say to him, all that you command us, we will do. And sometimes we make that promise and go, Whew, I know what's coming. I know what will be asked of me. And sometimes, like Peter, we say, Lord, we will follow you to death. And then the rubber meets the road. And we go, I don't know, Jesus, three times. 
God is patient and merciful. That even in our committing to the Lord, our strength, our gifts, our talents, our time, we are reminded the only way ultimately that we will ever make it is that God is merciful. And to remember what happens, in fact, if we do not keep covenant with him. And so we find in third, the third point, a warning. It is obedience or it is death. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And this is the people speaking. They know what to say. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. What we must understand is this. That the one who commands us and loves us and has promised the world to us is to be feared more than the world that he is calling us to go out into to take dominion of. Only when you fear God more than the world will you ever stand up to the world in which he has called you to fight. Again, what does Christ say? Do not fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body and send the soul to hell. The opinion of God as king of heaven and earth, his opinion of us must loom larger than the power and the strength and opinions of men. Kids, this is especially true of you. When all the world, and that is a lie, when it seems like that, don't believe it. When all the world seems like they hate Christ, and every inclination, every temptation, every encouragement is to reject the authority of Christ and the call to righteousness, or you're just a loser. Remember who the true losers are. Remember that if it were not the Lord who was on our side, dot, 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 we must agree to do as we have been commanded. Now, what first are we commanded to do? Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words. What has God commanded us to do? Now, again, when we read these texts, we must not see them as exclusive and contradictory from faith, as alone the grounds of righteousness. There are not two gospels in the Bible. God is not confused, and at sometimes he says, works righteousness here, belief in the covenant, and you will be saved there. Grace. But what? That the true fruit of a saving faith is that we keep God's commands. We must agree to do as we have been commanded. We must follow God's leader into battle. First, for the sake of the salvation of our own souls, and second, to win the world. For if we do not obey that, what else is there? If we reject God's command to believe upon Jesus Christ and you shall be saved... What else is there? This is what the writer of Hebrews means. 
that we, if we fail to enter into the rest promised to us by God, the only other option is to perish in the wilderness. To disobey is to invite death. And this is why ministers, young people especially, it feels like they're preaching at you. You know what I mean? You must believe. Why? Because they're burdened for the sake of your souls. They want you to understand that if you do not trust in Christ, there is no salvation. They want you on the proper side of the sea, on the right side of Christ Jesus, as the Puritans used to put it. I want to see you all there. That's my intention. That's my goal. That's my greatest hope, is that not one of you is lost in the overwhelming tide of God's wrath, but that we will, on the other side, see each other again. That's it. In my mission, as your fearless leader, that's, that's sobering, is to do what? Is to show you the way of salvation. Is to command you in the way that you shall go. And so the question is, what will you do with the promises of God? Will you say like Israel, whatever you say, Lord, we will do it. We will follow your man. For that man is no longer a Joshua, a Moses. But even greater things than they did is the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man. And Christ has shown us clearly that he knows the way out of the grave. He knows the way to the other side of the sea. That he is our Passover lamb. That he is the one who has taken our sins And makes it possible to be saved. And having been given that gift of salvation, what does he then do? He leads us into that rich and good place and he says, this is yours, now take it. And it will require conflict. And we may suffer much. But this is our inheritance. Let's pray. Lord.